When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. I'd like to exchange an egg. I've made my choice and I choose me. Attention, Beverly Hills 90210 fans. You are now entering a song by song. You're so precious to me. Episode by episode. Look, I hate you both. Never talk to me again. Count of the making of America's most famous zip code. May the bridges I burn light the way. With producers Charles Rosen and Larry Mullen and your host, Pete Ferrero. Hey guys, don't go away, man. Just go away. It's now time for the Beverly Hills 90210 Show. All right. A lot of familiar faces this week, right? For everybody that's uh, that's watching. Joining us this week, we have James Eckhouse, Mr. Jim Walsh. How are you? How's everything going? How is quarantine uh, treating you? Oh, quarantine's a lot of fun. I the only the, the major problem I'm having is I did try to do my sourdough starter and it is just not working. So any, <laughs> any fans who can give me some tips, it was going for about three days and now it's just gone flat. <laughs> and I feel like most of America is doing sourdough starters right now. So everybody, yeah, yeah. That's my then we have Suzanne, right? Carrie Keene. How are you? It's good to have you here. How's quarantine going for you? I've hardly noticed that I was just finishing off of a, a like a big sort of refurbishment on my house. So we kept on going and now we're kind of coming out of it. And I haven't really felt, you know, I keep doing my work virtually. And um, so yeah. it's okay. I don't mind it actually. Yeah. I think it's probably my age. You know, you don't, you don't have a big social life at my age. So <laughs> you don't mind it. <laughs> and then of course, we have the usual suspects back again, right? Larry Mullen, how are you? How's everything going for you this week? Been a little yeah, bit intense. You know, it's a very sobering week, obviously. Yeah. Uh, we came to a lot of harsh truths this week and uh, continue to uh, just see what the next week brings. It's just, uh, you know, there's a lot we could say on this issue. It's probably not the right forum for it, but uh, we're just trying to, you know, make it through and uh, love everybody and, um, you know, I'm really glad we had the podcast. That's something to focus on. I had to try to find Carrie, and I did want to just give a shout out to the people. Who, first, I tried Tom Butler in Vancouver, and then I tried my friend Art Hindle in Toronto. And Art Hindle reached out to another guy, Stephen Mendel, and somehow Stephen Mendel in Vancouver knew your place in Los Angeles. So, you know, I mean, if we had paid for IMDb Pro, we probably have her. <laughs> A little bit of uh, thank you, guys. Shout out to those wonderful guys. Thank uh, you, everybody, for finding thank me. You. Thank you. Thank you. You're part detective in this process of doing the podcast as well. And we have Lily representing the fans, right? Lily, how's everything in the group world uh, these days? It's so good. We are so excited to have James and Carrie with us tonight. It's wonderful. And We're then, very of course, excited to be here. We have now Charles. Charles Rosen, Charles, listen, I think we got to start talking about the, what's going on in the world right now. And, uh, you know, Lily, we, we talked beforehand and Lily brought up this great organization, right? Lily, do you want to chat about that? Colorofchange.org? Oh, uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so colorofchange.org, it's my understanding that they um, – they put together petitions and they reach out to state representatives. It just seemed like one of the um, 
one of the best uh, charitable organizations to go with and to talk about donating donating to on tonight's show. Absolutely. We want to make sure that's at the top of our, our thoughts and uh, everything that's been going on. Charles, Beverly Hills 90210 has not, you know, uh, hid from this issue. You guys have tackled this issue uh, for quite some time, the things that are going on right now. Is it crazy to you that 30 years later, some of these issues still exist in society? It seems like every year, you know, I also am old enough. I, I admit that I also remember driving up to the Hollywood Hills after Arthur Wachtel's bar mitzvah and watching Watts burn. So I, I remember that when it started 65 and then 92. Um, next week's podcast, just to give a little tip, we are, we're calling it 90210 black, in black and white. We have uh, uh, focusing on a couple of our episodes that really dealt with racism. Our terrific writer, Chip Johannesson, Emmy winner for Homeland and so much more, got a start on 90210 and wrote his first episode was about that high school dance that got uh, canceled because of um, gunplay in the stands. And um, so, and then we have one for year five. Larry has one from year seven. So we're really going to deal. And um, and I want to just say the one thing, because we talked about, well, you know, should we do it today? People yeah. are in, where's their mindset? And I found something that I wrote um, in, in uh, December 8th, 1993. And certainly a copy was given to James and a copy was given to Larry because we were all working together. Then Carrie, I don't think you're on a crew list in that way. But it was like a love letter and thanking everybody for an incredible transition, a trend, you know, we've high school to this and all the things that happened to us, an earthquake, all, all sorts of stuff. But what I said is I, is that, you know, here we were, one of the most popular TV shows in the world, show gave so many millions of people pleasure that I can't see it as anything other than a handcrafted gift we give to an edgy world longing to be connected and entertained and loved by good friends. And so, you know, that's what entertainers do. We are the diversion. We're not the we're not the main event. The main event is is um is what it takes to keep our society going. Yes. But um we'll really get into it next time. Yeah. Uh next week, but I know uh we have a lot of fun tonight talking yeah. about the writers room and with an uh, actor director like James who not only acted but one of the main in our arc about um Dylan McKay, you know, directed one. Carrie was in the heart of it. The only thing I want to say before I just turn it over to the whole group is to is to remind everybody, okay, this is season four. We left high school. And the first 12 episodes, what we had to do, as we talked about in that keg episode, is establish reality of a college campus. And um, when the network questioned whether we had lost our pizzazz and, every, and and the rating heat was with Melrose. What I staked out was by the time we get to November sweeps, we will be your top show again because I knew we were going to take Brenda out of the equation and have her try to elope in Las Vegas, which I knew would put us <laughs> building to that. But we had just done those two things. We were, now what do we do? So we pitched very quickly one of the things that, and, and, and if you think about it, those two plot lines I just gave you, Dylan McKay doesn't factor in the middle of it, really. He's playing around with guns, a poetry craft, maybe he likes Brenda, what's going on with Kelly. He's not in the middle of anything, truthfully. 
until his doorbell rings and his long lost sister perhaps and his uh, someone very close to his father shows up on the doorstep on Christmas. Mm. Um, when we said that we wanted to put that moment into the Christmas episode, um, Mr. Spelling, uh, with his story sense, which was a good one, says, oh, you know, lover, they're going to know for the moment they show up that they're going to be, uh, you know, bad and, and you're never going to convince it. They'll just give it away. I said, Aaron, I'm going to do it over the course of the season. And when we get to the end, the audience won't even be even considering that it could happen. So what I what enticed me about doing today's podcast is to Larry and I to, to look at the episodes in which this subplot took place and what we did to distract you so that you wouldn't know where we were pointed. Yeah. And there's a lot of that stuff. Um, I'm curious for Carrie, how you came into the process of this. Did you, did you know, uh, what was coming? Did we lose Carrie? She seems to have frozen. Carrie, can you hear us? She's frozen in time. So she's frozen in time. Yeah. We'll remove her from the stream for now. And then try to get back. I'm sure. Yeah. She'll come back. Oh yeah. She'll come back in. Yeah. Um, Okay, so Chuck, let's, uh, let's you know, Chuck, let me uh, set out the writer's room because we should yeah. tell who's in it. Please. So the writer's room, you know, thank God by this time we had better computers. I convinced Chuck that we needed better computers. <laughs> Literally, we had like the worst computer. It was crazy. I kind of remember. I think we finally got like two eighty sixes or whatever. We that. were the first show that the spelling entertainment used computers. There was a typing service in West Hollywood called Barber's Place, and he kept it alive long after it should have been gone. Exactly. But we got the computer. So in, in the writer's room then was Steve and Jessica, who were a, a, a writing couple and uh, I think co-executive or supervising producers at that point in the fourth season. Correct. Right. There was Chip Johannesson, who was st story editor. Uh, there was myself, and I was called consulting producer at that point. And there was a gentleman named Richard Gollins, who unfortunately has passed on. And he was with us for, I think, the whole season or pretty much. All yeah. of season four season. and half of season five. And so, you know, when we got these things pretty quickly after the, uh, you know, what Chuck was talking about, the, the rage stuff, but pretty much after the first or second show, Chuck, they said to us, you got to do 32 episodes. So everything got accelerated and we had to sit down and figure this long arc, which here we are. So, so we, we, you know, so Carrie, you, you were, uh, before we, you faded out there for a second, Peter was asking you a question. So, let's yeah, like, so where, when did you come, in, when did you come into, into, into play with this? Uh, did you audition for it? Uh, how did you find out about Suzanne? Well, I'd, I'd worked with Aaron Spelling on a couple of shows before, but I auditioned for it and, uh, I went right along with these writers thinking that she was just this lovely woman who had had this fling with Jack, Dylan's father, and had this lovely child and I needed a job at the Peach Pit. That's, <laughs> I went right along with it. And it wasn't till the final, was it 12 episodes in? And I read the script and I went, say what? Right, <laughs> so, right, because, you know, the I can't take any credit for being a great con woman because I didn't know I was one. Oh. <laughs> it, was perfect, it was perfectly played on your behalf. 
I thought I, he was great acting. I wonder, I wondered, we must have, because of the nature of who he was, we must have let Luke into this, onto this from the start uh, as well. But I, I don't think this is something we broadcast anywhere. I, I didn't know it. Too. I didn't know no. it. But, no, you know, I, I don't think we don't assumed think everyone that. knew it. I mean, I, I was think so upset because I love Carrie, and I thought, "How dare you!" I didn't think so much about security. You know, I'm thinking about now, like there was no security in the script. We weren't like trying to hide the scripts. Anyone could see the scripts. I, I we always assumed that people knew. I don't think we had a conversation letting them in on the thing other than Luke. But I think we assumed everyone else knew. I or you know, certainly we didn't intentionally not tell them. I don't think the there was anything Larry in the scripts that gave it away until the final script. I, I just, you know, I was going along with it all as if as if this was just for real. And by the but way, it makes a perfect con woman. Somebody Lori, who didn't even know she was one. Lori says, Carrie, you look beautiful. I forgive your character for screwing over Dylan. So you're <laughs> <laughs> you've been forgiven. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. <laughs> well, one of the things that we did just starting up, if you were gonna have someone show up at the door. <laughs> on Christmas, there's a whole family feeling. And and sure. one of the things about that first episode that, that is an interesting kind of twist is you would think that um, Dylan McKay, oh, he's just, Christmas doesn't matter to him at all. But he's, he's overcompensating for Christmas. He's got on the hats and he's yeah. giving presents to everybody. He's going surfing at Baja. He's really up. And, and there's one line that we uh, inserted in uh, oh, I did. I was the writer. Um, that basically said, uh, Ellie's saying, well, you know, sometimes the, the, the psychology student, sometimes someone who gets really into Christmas is really using the holiday because they're the most lonely. Yeah. And that is the actual scene that happens before you guys show up. Yes. And, um, you know, the nature, you get caught up in the Christmas spirit. And I think it's, I think that the one thing that was, again, and, and you, you, our fans know this, and, and James and, and Carrie, I know we'll talk about this as we continue to talk about this this arc, is that, you know, we often talk about, oh, how often Brenda is pitch perfect. Dylan is pitch perfect through all of this. Yes. You know, the notion of his skepticism to you, how you win him over, how he likes the idea of the sister. Yes. I mean, you really, and it, it, it it's a slow move. It isn't like, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to twist here. You, you realize... That when he comes back from uh, the the um, and with the tree and tickets to Disneyland and this, he's in with the family. Second part of it, James, you do a bet. You're you're running Dylan's uh, money, so you're doing a So you he says about it. He wants ten grand to help his sister. Is is uh, you know the the sister and and her mother, and uh, you do a background check. And you don't like that, but you turn around. And yeah. everything that's being done is very natural. Yeah. And then the one then I wanted to talk a little bit more about was the episode that was, um, that had really one fine scene with you, but it's the episode that if, it's one thing to bond over Christmas. It's another thing to bond with your sister when she has her first menstruation. Right. And that happened in our episode, Thicker Than Water. Yeah. yeah. Which it always mattered to me because my wife Karen is in there and my daughter Lindsay is one of the two kids with Shira Wasserman. So, you know, we I've said it once on this show. I know I'll say it again. Mr. Spelling and I, what we had most in common was nepotism. 
Karen was very good. Karen was very good in their scene. She played yeah, a yeah, like what are you doing it? In- for Chuck and for for you guys, do you remember the do you remember the audition process? Do you remember the uh, you know when when Carrie came in for I do. I do. And you know, it's it's interesting because she had to be, you know, I mean, obviously uh Jack McKay, you know, we knew she was not gonna be 20 years old, but she had to be attractive. And and you know, obviously Carrie was a redhead then, and she really uh mm-hmm. And she was so genuinely nice. You know, I guess, I don't know. Where are you from originally, Carrie? Canada. Oh, where, where in Canada? Toronto, Canada. Irish where? of Irish descent. I'm sorry, where? Toronto. Around Toronto, little towns. Oh. And anyway, she just seemed so kind of genuine. Had that kind of a, to, to us, sounded like Midwestern. Uh, that she, I don't think there was any serious competition. I, I remember being in the room there, and, you know, Paul Wagner really ran that room. Uh, everyone kind of filmed up. Do you remember differently, Chuck? What do you remember? Well, you know, I was just thinking that, that you know, for me, casting was, uh, and, no, and I wonder how you feel about this, James, because you're on both sides of this. Casting for me was mostly, when is this going to be over? <laughs> you know? Um, can't can't you know Diane Young, our casting director, could please find did you find someone? Thank you. This one, okay, fine. You know, there was very rarely did we go back and say just and, and very rarely did she strike out, you know, that we said did it, you know, because when you tell her that she'd start crying. So we didn't we just tried to avoid that at all costs. You know, we were didn't like confrontation, you know, we were nice guys, but no, right. but seriously, she really was mostly on the money and was to you. Um, you know. I focus more on these things from the script point of view. And one of the things I noticed that I, I kind of liked was that you made reference to the fact that you had lost your house in a flood. And it was a flood in the Mississippi River. And it was one of our first really environmental disasters in something like that. And, and it rained in Iowa for like four months. And this is what happened. So to make one of the things for an audience to believe what's going on is to be very specific with real things. Mm-hmm. Later, when we go down and we start talking about uh, uh, Kevin, you know, that uh, you know, bioremediation is a real thing. So we weren't trying to, to, to you know, uh, d- don't look at those, uh, you know, space aliens over there while we take the money out of your mattress. You know, we we laid it out in, and I thought that specificity looking back at these episodes was a was a big thing. For you, James, as an actor, do you like it when writers are very specific about direction and this or this, or do you want to free ball and, and interpret and go that way? Um well, that's a that's a terrific question. Um I do you mean in terms of stage direction in, in the writing? You're say, I mean like you know um Interpretation I, of how to how to just tone really, I guess tone. Yeah, you know, we should probably talk about tone meetings for a second. You know, given that today is kind of like we're pulling the curtain back. When James directed uh, Truth or Consequences, one of the first things we have is is a meeting, and mm-hmm. the meeting is there. There are basically three people in the meeting: James, myself. And the producer, uh, as the writer, the writer's in there too. So excuse me, it's James, the, whoever is the writer, myself, and our line producer, Paul Wagner. And so you should say James, director. I mean, it makes it sound like I'm always there. Yes, yeah, the director, director, the writer, the producer, 
and the executive producer. Home <laughs> meeting. And what happens is that I talk to the director in what and, and let the writer join me in the conversation whenever they can get a word in edgewise to um, uh, to basically say this is the most important line in the scene. This is what we're trying to do here. And you do it in front of the line producer, as I learned from Duke Vincent, thank you very much, so that the director can't come back later to the producer and say, oh, yeah, but I talked to him and uh, he, he approved me to use this big camera. So just give me the camera. Everybody knows what's what and they can't do that. So that's the tone meeting. That's the first thing that a TV show does with a director, guest corrector and mm. whatnot. Interesting. I mean, I think it's a very interesting thing about control because what you're you're really talking about is controlling, controlling the story and controlling not just the story but how it all comes together. And um, this is this is not like a a good thing or a bad thing. This is sort of a yin yang thing. I think that what's interesting in TV, particularly, is the and why I love it as a theater actor is the, is the collaboration. And what people don't realize, it, the, the, I, th I think what emerges in it, and, I, and what I loved about directing on the show, is the it, it is the it, it is the different um, points of view of director, producer, writer, all all expressing their point of view in a meeting like that, and what emerges in the end, the product, yeah. is a result, a result of, of that. that Jostling, jostling way, and and what you want to do is have a place that Chuck, you did in Spades, where you felt like your voice was heard, and 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 you have an extremely strong point of view, and and Larry, you have a very strong point of view. Everybody did, but you felt like yours was important as well, and that it it it, it did in that so that we knew that what the result was everybody's Everybody. and and and. You know, uh, pushing it, not pushing against each other, but that collaborative process, which can be very jostling. You know what I mean? Very. Right. As Paul said, Wagner really, Paul Wagner really helped that too, because he, Paul was he was like an overseer, and uh, you know, he kind of blended both sides of the hill. James, in terms of from the, coming from an actor's perspective, um, are you? You're now in the fourth season. Are you very comfortable inside of Jim Walsh? Do you, when you get a script, do you know where you're going to go? Do you know what you're going? You know where what it's going to be like to do this with Luke? I mean, are you pretty familiar and comfortable in that place now? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you 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 you, you feel you you the the separation between you and the character is is small at that point. You know. Um, and and that's also that's in casting. That's not brilliant acting in any sense. That's just like you cast the person who can can wear that well, um, and I think the show reflects that in everybody's. But you also act, the the problem actually I think is that you become complacent. It's very easy to become complacent as an actor on a series, where you assume you know what each of these beats are. You know. Mm. Where it may be that the writer and and Chuck and all are there, they they want to go in a certain direction. They want it to be no, 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 no. We want to surprise the audience here, or we want to we want to bring in an element that we haven't seen before. And well, it's, yeah. yes, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, we um, my I never wanted a viewer to turn on the the show and know 
it's a formula and they know what's going to be there. Absolutely. Sometimes it's going to be all romance. Sometimes it's going to be a heavier drama. Sometimes it's going to be a big production. Sometimes a combination of both. Sometimes we'll go back to the 1960s. You don't know what's yep. going to be. And that was, I thought, and that always appealed to me. Unfortunately, for most viewers of most shows, that's not what they, on network television, especially in this era, that's not what you get because what producers and production companies and networks love is a formula where the audience knows every week what's going to happen. Right. Hello, CSI. Hmm. CSI is the same show every week or, you know, in, in one sense. And in, in that, and in they had a real, and, and, and it wasn't focused on character and development and twist. It was a procedural that came. One of the reasons procedurals got so popular is because you, you, the audience could know exactly what to expect and therefore they wouldn't turn the dial. They got mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was like, it's like a blanket. It's like a comfort blanket in a way. It's very comforting in a certain way. You can just sort of, you know, to, to, to know exactly what's, what's going to happen. Well, you know, two shows, you had some leeway to throw some other curveballs in there. We mostly did down the, you know, we, we told the stories that we did. We did take it some indulgences. Let's Carrie, Carrie has a, has a comment. I just wanted to, to come back to something you said, Charles, about specificity. And I have to say that for me, you are, I don't know whether you're asking as an actor, but as an actor, when I come in and I have little specific things like that, like a flood in Mississippi or something that's been written in there, I, I love that because that's something that, especially as a, as a, an actor coming into a very established show. You're really wanting to come with something to add to it, something that's rich and new. And, and for me, all those little details that were written in for me to develop in her inner life yeah. gave me a sense of belonging, if that makes any sense, and a sense that I was entering into something that my character mattered, that... Well, uh, Writers cared enough to write details so that I could feel uh, oh, like. Good. Well, it, 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 definitely, it definitely had an impact because in looking at this first three episodes that we talked about, Christmas, Crunch Time, and then Thicker in Water, where, where the period happens. Yeah. You have a scene. James's Jim Walsh finds out that, hey, you got some money in Iowa. You have 25K there. And Dylan confronts you on it in his own way. And you say, look, you know, I was from an insurance thing and whatever. And, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, I can't be sure. I was from in so many words. You said I was promiscuous and Erica might not even be Jack's daughter. But great. I was there with Jack. Now, when that part came up, Lair, one of the things I thought it was, we didn't know what we would be doing five, six, seven episodes down specifically. I mean, we were arguing yeah. it out. But, yeah. you know, the notion being that we'll do a paternity test or something like that could have possibly ever come into the mix. So, yeah, no, we, we blew that out of the water early. We, exactly, like exactly. Yeah. So we got that out of the way. Yeah, I mean, there's, remember the dog whistle thing you hear about in politics? It was like we played everything was like a dog whistle for, for Dylan. The family... <laughs> Uh, yeah. The flood stuff, the environmental things, the biomedia, clean the ocean out, the surf, all the way through. It's just they just they played him like a fiddle, and it's all was the Suzanne. Yeah. And the next thing, of course, is you getting into Peach Pit world, and that was, you know, it's very interesting. You're there, 
Um, the um, and uh, uh, hi, yeah, new job, and your boss has a heart attack right in front of you at the peach pit. Right. And so nobody's thinking about who you are, anything like that. It's all shifted to to that. And uh, and then there's another episode that you're in, and you have a line or two. I, I don't. Noli's not even in that one. You're just there at the at working at the peach pit. And then what I really, really like, and I forgot that we did this, is we for the next six episodes you weren't in it. We'd ever talked about you. You weren't there, so that when you came back with Kevin as a boyfriend, and you're at the peach pit, and all the kids know you, and this and this, it's all very normalized. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It was well played for you guys. I mean, that was by that time I was accepted by everyone in the community as being part of that with no guess at all at, at what I was up to. Right. Well played guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chuck, Chuck, let me ask you a question for, it's important that they show up at Christmas because Chris, that Christmas episode is almost like a flashback episode, right? I mean, I know that the, the Walshes are on a plane, uh, you know, to this scary Hawaii trip, but for the oh, most yeah. part, well, do you remember was, this? Yeah. Do you remember that? It's happening. A lot of flashback stuff. Right. Is it important that you're playing with the Christmas element? Like Nat even says in this, uh, uh, well, this would be the day to give the str a stranger, you know, the benefit of the doubt. It's Christmas. Is it an important well, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing about having a second look for a lot of episodes, and this was when I had a second look, and Christmas was really a big deal to the spell in the spelling world. He wanted a Christmas episode every time, and if you think about it, in season two, we, we did, Darren Starr wrote it and directed it, and he did his ode to um, Miracle on 34th Street with Santa, I come the next year, and Karen and I kind of giggle our way through It's a Wonderful Life, you know, our ode to Capra. And and then this one, um, because we were starting to do double-ups, because uh, building that set was not cheap, that California University was not cheap, they said to me, you're doing a bottle show. And that's why you have all those flashbacks, and that's why you only went outside once in the entire episode, which was out in the church out in, and that, and that was, not, I think we did it in five days. And we went out to the San Fernando Valley mission with uh, Jesse, with uh, you know, Jesse and, and, and Andrea. And that was, uh, you know, otherwise, so that's one of the reasons it was there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and everybody got a star turn. Everybody had something in their relation to Christmas and a flashback and that. Yeah. So, again, it was buried in that realm. Um, yeah, Christmas was, was special. And that's, again, as I say, it, it was the original way, original entry point. Would not have been the same if it was just a normal Tuesday. The spelling Christmas party was a big deal <laughs> at the Beverly Wilshire every year. Oh, yeah. yeah you remember that? I do remember, Chuck, that. You remember that we'd all get all dressed up and get there and you know well i i wonder if james because you know i always whenever i did a toast at the at the when i left the show or when we hit a hundred episodes i would always say and this is for anybody who can remember the first 12 because the first 12 we didn't have very much and i remember i, I don't even know if you were even at that christmas party jules heimovitz put it into this bar in Hollywood, East Hollywood. No. Candy Spelling was, it, this was not one of her places. And it was kind of lugubrious. It was the only show they had. By the next Christmas, we had our run. 
Mr. Spelling's favorite restaurant for a long time was Chasen's. Yes. Also for the restaurant. And that was to me the moment, wow, we have arrived. You know, I don't know if you felt that, it, it, that one, that, that Chasen's dinner, if you remember. That that big, yeah. But I, I remember Love Chasen's. Jason, Jason and I used to take bets pretty much after every episode. We go, what do you think? One more? When do they pull the plug? I mean, we literally would take bets. To, we, we were always going, this is not going to work. There's, there's no in way. The first, in the first 12. Oh, in yeah. First, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. James, when is it that you realize? I know this is a little bit off topic, but when is it that you realize, like, oh, we're going to be around for a few? You want you want the truth? Do you have a second here? It's a little bit of a story. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so um, it's I think it's it's the summer. We starting we're starting to do the summer episodes. It was the first the first. Wait a minute, Chuck. How many did we do the first season? We just uh, did, you you were in the reshoot of the pilot. So twenty one. We did twenty one. Right. Okay. Twenty one. Yeah. So the I pilot think we, was 22. I think we just wrapped because we wrapped in whatever. When did we wrap? In like May, I think April, April, May, something like that, right? April, early April. Yeah. And <laughs> so we be on the air in July. So we, and I wasn't thinking about it much. <clears throat> and we and so we were gonna drive up to Lake Tahoe, my wife and I and, and the two boys. And they were at that point, one was two and one was five or something like that. We're driving up to Lake Tahoe. Halfway there is Bishop, right? The town of Bishop on the 395. We've got our crappy Burbo van, the white uh, Plymouth, you know, van that was about 12 years old. We're, you know, we've got the kids in the car. We're driving up. We get to the Bishop. They want to graze. We always stepped, stopped out in Bishop. You know, it's like eight. That's like seven hours later from L.A. And there's a tennis match going on. And Xander, my older son, at that point, loved tennis. And so Kelleher, my wife, took Xander and said, OK, I'll go over go to the tennis match and you go take Gabe, who was all over like one and a half years old and you push him in the swings. I was like, that's great. So I'm pushing Gabe in the swings and I'm looking about 50 yards away. I see this guy, you know, he's like in his forties kind of, and he's looking at me and I'm thinking, what is he looking at me for? You know, and with, a, uh, with a younger girl, like 16 and I'm not them. I'm getting a little creeped out. I'm in the middle of this nice park in Bishop and I'm pushing Gabe. And he goes off and I'm like, okay, so we're, you know, we're having fun. And then about five minutes later, my wife comes like over, there's like a hill and he comes, she comes over the hill and she's dragging my son who's five years old. It's like, mom, mom, you know? And I look and there's this crowd of people. I kid you not. There must've been probably a hundred people coming over the hill. And she said, get in the car now. <laughs> And I grab my son out of the thing, and I feel like children of the dam. Like, do not look back at this crowd of people. And we, and we you know, and I'm, I'm just a schlemiel, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I look like hell. We've been driving forever. I, we grab the kids, we get to the van, we throw them in, and they surround the car. Now, a year later, I would have had to send to roll down the window, take out, say, start doing the autographs. But we were terrified. My <laughs> wife was terrified. The kids were screaming. I start the car. I, you know, get the people out of the way and drive off. And I just turned to my wife and I said, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> and I knew but that, wow. our, that our lives had and changed. you've never been in Kansas since, right? Well, I've been back for a long time. Well, 
that's what you get from, you know, Bishop is pretty close to Kansas. That's what you get for stopping in Bishop. Stopping in Bishop. Hey, uh, Chuck, in this episode, too, in the Christmas episode, there's an, there's we don't really ever see two, like, uh, two characters that doesn't include a lead have a conversation. Larry and I kind of talked about that on an episode uh, last week. In this episode, we have Erica and Suzanne having some dialogue. And it's it's an opportunity, right? Where maybe they, if if we want to let the audience in on you know what's happening, they could say something. But they are having a very genuine, authentic conversation about you know liking Dylan and and all this stuff. Uh, do you remember that scene? And do, do, is that intentional that we're seeing? These? Well, I remember the one. The only thing, yeah. Well, I took I watched all of them. Yeah. You're making me watch all these episodes. <laughs> I got to go back and watch them. Same here. <laughs> but, um, uh, there was one moment that uh, you, Carrie, you, uh, you, 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 uh, Erica's not sure that she wants to do something, and you right. say, "Well, we've rehearsed this. Just do it as we rehearsed." And that can look, one sense, very innocent, like a mom. You have a shy daughter, scared daughter. The other one yeah. is, is you wanted you had, as Larry was saying, because we had to get you to ingratiate. And therefore, know a lot about about the subject. You had read a, whether you were with Jack McKay or not. I don't even know if we ever established that, but yeah. you sure knew a lot about it, and you knew about this kid and the thing, and so you were able to weave through. And we don't know, at looking back at it, when you say we rehearsed it, whether that was part of it or you just were bolstering. You know, just be the good daughter, and he'll take you in as the sister, and then we can go from there. That's what I thought. Hey, what was it like with Noli? What was it like? Sorry, what was it like with Noli? I mean, we we obviously tried to talk to her too, but she couldn't find her. Have you ever talked to her? Since? I haven't. No, I actually haven't. And I was looking Noli up, but I mean, talk about an easy kid to love. I just adored her and very easy to work with. My feeling with Noli was always that because we were in a desperate situation, and I wanted to gain a family for her that I had asked her to say these things in order to, as you say, to ingratiate us to Luke so he would take us in. And it was always, I mean, I just bought right into it. I just felt that all of what I rehearsed her to say was in order for us to be um, given some support, like just a job at the peach pit was fine for me. Because you didn't realize that if you uh, were a guest star woman, you had to be bad. And if you were a guest star girl who kissed Brandon, you were going to be crazy. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't know that then, I guess. I didn't know that. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Hey, I'm kind of that way. Did you guys ever think about, because, you know, it was very jarring because, you know, they, they're in the airport. I remember they're in the airport. And then there's the gum, right? She tries to put the yeah, let's, gum. Yeah, let, let's we're going to we're gonna get we're to gonna that. take a couple of steps before we get there. Okay. You know, I, one of the things that I really like are the, in the next episodes. The next episodes we've dealt with, we've talked about, it's Divas. It's our Tennessee Williams trilogy. And you directed number three. You directed Truth or Consequences which I thought one and three were really strong episodes. Um, and 
you know, in the Diva story, and then we got Claire and Brandon. We're introducing that, and you've got, you know, uh, you know, uh, all the other, you know, storylines going on, and then going to the prom, and you're not focused on the fact you got a boyfriend. Oh, your daughter doesn't like the boyfriend. Well, Luke and you know Dylan and him have some things in common. He seems like a good guy. She's willing to give her another chance, and then comes. The next scene, the important scene, Larry. I'll throw it to you. What happened? Yeah, no. I remember we, you know, we 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 were looking for a way to really cement them, and you know, that's we we wrote this bus scene, and looking at how it was shot, it was fantastic. And then we had the great line: "You just made a friend for life." Like he just throws it on Dylan. Now Dylan's beholden to him. Like because oh, Dylan saved him. I think the normal way you would have done it is save Dylan. So he saved me. I know you care about me. But this was the exact opposite. He puts exactly. And I don't know. He probably, uh, you know, he wasn't that as as Suzanne knew this this Kevin guy wasn't that reliable. He didn't, you know, he wasn't all that great, and he could have just walked into a bus right then. But it was pushed back. Pushed back. That was a cement moment with that line, you know. We well, you know, thinking about it in our minds. I mean, the guy is such a good con man. He knows he's got to do something there, and he sees the bus going. And he goes. He thinks about Dylan's gonna say he has to do a leap of faith there to hope that Dylan's right. gonna save him. And that's Dylan, that, that, it's really a exactly good moment. Right. It's, a it's, great a moment. Yeah. it's a great grifter moment. Yeah, great grifter moment. Absolutely. And are, so you guys are saying that Kevin in, intendedly walked towards the bus or did he almost really get hit by the bus? What is your thoughts? No, on I think he, I think he, he kind of took a, took a leap of faith there to, to seal it. Then he had that perfect line. I mean, Dylan's stuck with him now when he says to him, you made a friend for life. It's like having a stalker. You know? <laughs> And then, you know, we, we find out about Kevin's, uh, the fact that he works in bioremediation, which is a, uh, James, you know, we have a, this is a smart group. I, you know, we interviewed Carol Potter. She went to Harvard. This man, although he ended up at, at Juilliard, he was at MIT. So he, he actually could explain it to you in scientific terms. But what this is, is effectively an organism that can eat another organism like sludge. And my brother-in-law was invested in a early on in the 80s a early on after an oil spill there was a guy down in louisiana who had something that he thought could eat oil could eat the carbon in the water and it, it could but you could never scale it it could never be uh, an economic reality and and, and that you know the, started right from your brother <laughs> So that's how COVID-19 started. It got out of hand. Yeah, he was COVID-18. He was COVID-18. It was a long time ago. You know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so you know, you, you see, you had that. And and the, the one that you directed, James, is that you actually went. We went to the to lab. see where he worked in the yeah. lab and all that. And, again, we set it up that it was a school project for Erica. Right. Kevin didn't say, yeah, you should see what I got because it's right. really cool and you should invest in it. That wasn't there. No, it was to help again. You know, Noli is, uh, and Erica is the tale that moves the story. through. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, James, for, for you, like these scenes with the $10,000 and the check and you and Luke, what are those scenes like for you working working with Luke? Is there a chemistry there now based on that other question I had asked you about, you know, being in Jim Walsh's shoes at this point? Like, do you know you're going to have a good push and pull with him? You know what that those those scenes are going to be like? Well, you don't want to you don't want to know what I, I you know, you want it to be a surprise in terms of how it 
ends up being. But what you do know is you have this amazing trust this with with all these people you get to work with, but especially with Luke. I mean, Luke. Mm -hmm. I I, I don't start crying. Um, you know, he was he 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 was a singular human being, and mm -hmm. he he loved the work. He loved being an actor, and he loved finding the best he could in a scene. And finding, I'm sure, with Chuck, you probably had sometimes differences of opinions because I know that Luke was always looking for another way of doing a scene, you know, and, and, and God love him. And as a director, sometimes I find it like, Oh, like, please Luke, you know, let, let's stick with what, you know, but I love the fact that he was always looking for the extra thing, the looking for the different way of playing it, looking for what else is here, you know? Yeah. Um, you do know, you, when, when you watch the, the episodes, do you, remember those moments with him in, you know, sure. trust her and all, you know, all that stuff about Suzanne, you know, you, you know, if she, let me run a, a social security, uh, her, her number or whatever. You remember doing all that kind of stuff for him? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I you know, I, I have to look at the scenes and then I remember it, of course. Right. But, um, well, you know, the other thing that was really, I think really effective about Dylan and his money, Mm. So you, in looking at again the yeah. second look stuff, you um, it was ten thousand dollars one place, and then there was well, you know, it could be twenty five thousand dollars over here. So that was a lot of money. Yeah, fine, but but real money. But then it we never knew how much his estate was. You would right. say, oh, you're a very rich man. What well, did that mean? Fifteen million dollars? Did that mean five million dollars? Did that and Luke. At one point, said it meant fifty million dollars. I had to walk him back from that, uh, you know, gold mine. I, grew, I think uh, we did you know talk about that. I remember but, talking about that. So, so hmm. I, I, we probably did because the thing is, then, is that when we're talking about this investment whole thing, you're going to use your money, not much. It's vague. Right. It's not specific, like oh, there's a flood, or here's bioremediation. It's just move your money and do that, and and. Um, what uh, is also going on, that I just don't want to lose sight on, is that, you know, if you look at you as a, a guardrail in our era that we live in now, in terms of him and his finances, emotionally, his guardrail was Kelly. Who's what? And Kelly. Kelly Taylor. Yeah. And Kelly Taylor it did not. Now Kelly Taylor doesn't like strangers to begin with, <laughs> but she sent something about you, and there was a big you know, split in there. And then also during the acting uh, um, trilogy, as it were, you get the sense that Dylan is on Brenda's side. Yes. Because he is, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, the other thing I want to say also, never forget too, there's the dynamic uh, that I always loved playing, which was, is Dylan more of a son to me than Brandon? I mean, that, that, yeah. that, and I think that that, but that's a very key thing for a teenager. You know, what is a dad? What, what is my relationship with my father? How many, I can remember so many times as a teenager that I sometimes had a father figure that in a certain way, not that my dad wasn't a great dad, but you couldn't help but go to another dad and sure. him, you know, Always. Yeah. you know what I mean? Him, him, the other father figure do things that your own father could never do. And I, I love that interplay with Dylan and with, and, and, you know, and I love the fact that 
eventually, well, they're getting to it, but that Brenda, when she's going off to London, you know, says they're so proud of, of Brandon, you know, that, 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 that you deal with who's the special child. And I, I was always loving the, am I, am I your father? Well, you know, I have to be very careful here about, I'm not your father. I'm your, actually your, your money manager here, you know, but that that slips over. And I think that, that you guys wrote that in there subtly. And I think on an emotional level, that's really key for a teenager to watch. And that's it. And that's how, how Luke, that beautiful testament it. to the both of you. I think you both played that very beautifully. You know, you and, and Luke, you know, there is that sense of trust between the two of you. There's no mm. more Brenda to fight about, right? Oh, he's, yeah, he's, right. He's not dating Brenda anymore. He's right. He's on and, and now you can form any kind of relationship that you want with, with Dylan. Well, your character can, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we set up. Uh, a standalone episode. It's called Vital Signs. And a lot mm. of stuff is going on. We set up the basically the carnival and Babyface and doing that. The, the important thing for this trilogy is two things. Dylan and Kelly break up. And they break up because now Jim Walsh now is interested in this might be a good investment. Hey, this is good. I want to meet your guy. So all of a sudden now we have you know, an authority figure saying um, this might be special, this might be good, and that, you know, it all is great. And Larry noted this, and he pointed it out to me. We, uh, Molly Campbell, who was on uh, one of the Friday night specials, uh, yeah. was dressing him in suits and ties and this, and he started to, he was not comfortable in college, uh, Dylan. The actor said to me, please don't let me make, make me read poetry all semester. You know, I mean, all season, you know, he did. He was not a college person in his heart. He didn't go to college. It wasn't where he wanted to be and knew where to be. So he, um, you know, the, the idea of being an independent businessman and even being richer. Here's a guy with millions in the bank, but I can make more. And once greed gets into the equation, and I know this, unfortunately, from personal experience, you can be ripped off. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're not thinking straight, especially if trust is there. And Dylan, with his own eyes, saw the, the stuff work. So it's right. got to be worth it. You know, and, and what you presented, what was so beautiful, what, what you're presented to him as we move now into the transitional episode, the last episode, Mr. Walsh goes to Washington, is that. And, you know, here are all the heavy money going to invest it and all the, the, the you know, requirements of a professional investment prospectus. And um, and I and what was really great about that, that was that if you remember, Kevin just um, he admits to Dylan, I don't even know what they were saying in there. But I know I got something good. So all of a sudden, the one who was the authority on everything. Eh, maybe he wasn't, you know, that's his right. slip out and we can be together. And then it all becomes about family. We're having a wedding. And right. meanwhile, you're having a wedding, but come on. Okay. You're having a wedding. I prefer to be in Washington, DC with Lucinda and Claire and Brandon. I want to be at that carnival with, with, uh, with Steve and John Sears and, 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 yeah. and oh, look, look at David. He's going to end up in a limousine with some Donna. Yeah. Your plot was there, but the, only, the moment 
is is not that much screen time. And the scene, uh, and James, I hope you got a chance to look at it again. I hope they didn't botch it up too much in the, the <laughs> discs that you may have looked in here and there. But that scene where you say, we're, we're at the house, it's a very family-oriented mm. moment to get into it, and, and Dylan tells you, we're not going with you, and you fire him as a client, that's as good as it gets, Mr. Eckhouse. Yeah. That was for James Walton. I don't know if you saw that scene, but it so was. I, I haven't. I haven't looked at it in a long time. It was a good. It worked. It worked. It worked. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. The writing was wonderful. You know. It's it was, one of those scenes that that is the reason that we're talking about this thirty years later because you really you and and Luke really carried it off. Um, yeah, Media Melanie says Luke and James had very strong chemistry. It uh, felt like the real dad Dylan never had. Well played, James. Thank you. Thank you. That Very appreciate that comment. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That was a powerful scene. Do you, do you recall that scene? Do you remember that? And um, that's a big moment for your character, right? Yeah, I, I do, and I haven't seen it in a long time, so I don't. I, I, I'll probably completely misrepresent it, but I do. I, I just remember, you know, loving that, loving to do that scene. I mean, you know, look, also. I'm the dad. So, you know, as we know, it's more of a peripheral character. So whenever, you know, you got thrown something that you had emotional weight, it was, it was really, a, you know, it was a real gift. Um, and, so and, that was one of those great moments. And then that whole process of, of, you know, okay, now you're at the bank and you all walking away. Now you realize, and you're in the car, uh, you know, Suzanne's in the car and, oh my God, this is a rip. There are five minutes left. Then you do that airport scene with, you know, like Erica, you know, freaking out. Why aren't we telling Dylan? Where are we going? Et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and a normal television show maybe would have ended on with that, you know, especially a normal spelling show would have wow. entered, no offense, mister, uh, would have entered with the, the, the um, you know, Noli's note coming off the thing in right. the ground. And it would yeah. be there and, oh, my God, what's going to happen? But it didn't end that way. No. It end with the first time Brent uh, that I think we wrote it that way, and I give this credit to Jessica Klein. Give me a reason to come back. Mm -hmm. And after watching that, and watching how Shannon uh, really just loved playing Tennessee Williams, and you know, there's a lot. Of my one of my things that really bothers me about about season four is that you know there was a percentage of episodes where Shannon wasn't taking care of herself and you could see it in her face. She was didn't look that beautiful young woman that we had seen in the seasons before. But here she was, the center of it, the attention, and the actor comes out and she's beautiful and she looks so great. And at that moment, when she says, come back, give me something, I realized, and this is really for Lily, for, for all the, the, the Brenda versus Kelly people, sure. I realized that Maybe Dylan should have been with Brenda. Maybe no. that would have been uh, a big wow. deal. Oh my God! I know, but it was wow. it was such a because <laughs> she was so good in breaking that news. <laughs> you know? and it was her last scene. And I, you know, I saw that and thought, God, we should have tried in season six to persuade her to come back. You know, if I could have stayed and let's get her back because there were things to do with that. With that, can guy. I just throw that something guy. in there too that? You know, you talk about you talk about you know looking forward to scenes or Shannon, who we know can had her difficulties and could be d 
difficult at times, I, I know. But from my point of view, she was extraordinary to work with. And I loved every scene I got to work because I knew that she would show up and I knew that she would be affected by me and that I, I didn't have to work very hard. She just got to me. She always got under my skin. And that's what you want as an actor. You know, it's like you don't the, the work in a certain way was there because she was she was she was dynamite. She had Well, I always assumed that uh Jim and and Brenda were closest and then Carol and Brandon were closest. That that's yeah. kind of how she wrote it that way. And that's how it was. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean and I think Brandon and I were always it was kind of you know, it was, it was, there, there was a kind of, um, I wanted to be a hip dad and I wanted to be his friend, but I, you know, it, it, Brenda, I think confided in him a lot more. I have a question for Jim. I have a question for Jim. As the writers and producers, we always believed that Shannon had a photographic memory. She could party all night, look at the script, come in the morning and nail it. What do you think? I, you know what? I never thought about that, but I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely. Oh no, no, it, it's it's clear when Shannon. There were there were numerous yeah. times that maybe she cared about the scenes with you, so she tried. I mean, there were numerous times that Shannon came to the set. You could tell that she real or other actors had told me she wasn't familiar. She'd yeah. be looking at the set as you're blocking. She would ask, "Please start in the wides. Shoot my close up last." And as she would do it, she you know, would learn it all and then get the performance that she mm. knew would be on the, yeah. the screen. Now, the interesting thing is that you also know this, uh, James, that Luke, oftentimes, his bet, because of the improvisational quality that he tried to bring to everything he did, oftentimes yeah. his first reading was his best. So here you had one <laughs> first best, and then you know, what playing off was always at the end. It was sometimes hard to cut. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing is we used to always have a cast reading of the script. Yeah. And I can't remember Shannon ever asking for a line to be changed. You know, I mean, it would be normal, for, but she never did. She just kind of accepted everything. Well, Larry, we only started the cast readings on Divas. Huh? That's when we started it. Ooh. Right after, yes, it was right after um, <laughs> when, when Shannon was given notice she wasn't coming back. Mm. And at that point, I forget who came to us and said, we need to do cast readings. Now, we would have loved to have done cast readings, but yeah. well, it's good for there the were writer. no cast readings for Fantasy Island. You know, they just gave us, do this. You know, so we didn't have it. Sure, you make it better. And, and that's hopefully what the tone meetings were about. That was, a, that was the, so it was really interesting to do. And it was, uh, I learned a lot about all the actors. And, mm. and um, you know, we sing praises for uh, Luke, and as we should, but he did not like cold reads. Mm, he, yeah. he wanted to study it. He did, whereas Brenda was right there. And Jenny, and that, Brenda Shannon was. Right. You have to give credit to to Jenny as well in this, and it's particularly in what we're talking about here. You know, to be bickering with Dylan the way that she is, it's it's building a wall against you know somewhere that he the character that he trusts in, in Kelly. So, I mean, what she's delivering is just really, really amazing. I think she's awesome in this in this particular story arc, too, isn't she? Well, they use her. I mean, Suzanne and basically uses her against Dylan. I mean, that becomes the split, which is so great because – and then, yeah, I mean, she sacrificed her relationship with Dylan over her distrust of Suzanne in a lot of ways. Yeah, Absolutely. 
Um, what about Kevin, the actor that played Kevin? Um, David Hayward. So I tried great. to reach him. Yeah. Gary, can you tell us anything about your uh, your mate here I, in those scenes? I have, I have not kept in touch with David. Um, I know he's still out there working, but I haven't. Gosh, it's a big it's a big city, so you know oh. you're you don't bump into each other as much. Um, but again, I thought he played his role really well, and, oh, and yeah. I enjoyed I enjoyed all of it. It was just. Uh, it, it was it's great exercise for an actor to jump into an established show mm. and to um and and take coming at you and and just feed off of it whether it's a new actor you've never worked with a script that's being changed um and it was as far as the scripts are concerned they were they were a pleasure i've i've at one point i did nypd blue and they had thrown out the scripts at that point and it was entirely improvised and so when I did NYPD Blue and I had a kind of big role, um, the script they sent me the night before, they tossed out the next day and we sat down as actors and we worked through what was going on and then we shoot it. That's why Jimmy Smith's left the show. He couldn't bear it anymore. Well, really? you, walk in, you, can't, you can walk in. How would you like to walk in as the actor and get the thing and it says, Today's schedule, TBD, 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 well, yeah. TBD. And that was Glenn Gordon Karen too. You know, yeah. they they like to improvise. They like to rewrite. I like to I like not make scripts my, my problem and focus on the production issues and get to the next one. Me too. So let me ask you something, because, you know, I this I get different answers from different writers. Did you find, once you did have a, a read-through of the script, some... I know that there are some producers who said to me, ah, oh, it's a waste of time. I never, it never really helps. I can't really, yeah, I, a couple. I, they've said, it doesn't really, I, 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 don't, I don't like to do that. And I'm like, really? You know, because sometimes people don't show up and it's, you know, I, I, it, it's too performative and it doesn't feel, it's, it's not, you know, they don't get a chance to really work intimately. They'd much rather be in the scene working. But for you, once we started to do that, you felt that really, did you feel like that helped the process? To, to have a read through of the script. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. There you go. I, I was going to say yes. Not only that, when when you're casting the parts and you're hearing the sides read, you're also hearing how the thing works, and you're sure, doing sure. changes all the time. But we certainly would put out a draft after that table read. The yeah. table read would happen, and then a draft would go out, which you know you'd adjust some comments from people, and also what you felt wasn't honest or right, didn't didn't ring right. Well, that's good to hear because I think as an actor, I love it. You know, I really appreciate it, but I, I'm just wondering how you guys feel as producers, you know. Well, I also thought as a producer, uh, it was the good thing, is, um, in the one sense, the good thing is, is it gave us an excuse as the, to be with our cast so that we, there wouldn't be quite as much um, you versus them and that kind of thing that can develop between sure. actors and writers sometimes. So we were able to be closer to that. Um one of the problems, though, was that we could not require anybody to come in to read. So they had to do it on their day off unless yeah. they were working on the set that day. So oftentimes it would not be the full, full kind yeah. of time that, that I've had with other shows I've produced subsequently where everything's about the cast. Read. I, I don't think I, I don't think I felt that way with our show, but I was glad we went into it finally. Emmanuel says, Carrie King, you're an amazing actress. Dylan losing his money with one of the most rewarding storylines on the show because the closing <laughs> was earned beautifully throughout. 
So mm. there you go. Thank you, Thank Emmanuel. Thank you, Emmanuel. I, I Thank agree you. with Emmanuel on that. Uh, Lily, do you got any, any questions for the fans about uh, anything for, for James or Carrie about this storyline? I or do. I have a few for James and one uh, for Carrie. Carrie, what was it like working with the cast overall? Um, were there any special moments that you had with any of them? All I can remember, am I remembering correctly? We were shooting two shows in two studios at the same time. Is that true? Molly Campbell. I can uh, believe that kept it all straight. Um, we're going to do, uh, I, Peter, we're going to get him to do a double up uh, I show. I can't wait to do an episode up. on double up. We talked a little bit about double up for them. What are double ups like for you guys? For, for the actors, the, they're t um, well for the actors. I mean, I'm I'm going to say I think for the for the production team, it's a it's a nightmare, you know. And I am I crazy or wasn't it that like was it was it Dear Aaron who said something like you know what we're going to do this many episodes and we have to this is how we're going to do it or something? How did I got to ask? How did we ever even come to that? We said oh we're going to do 32 episodes, so we had to. Was that it? Well, where do you think we came up with the Dylan and the Greed subplot? <laughs> you, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, I, okay, I, you know, what? I'm not going to get 22 times my salary. I'm going to get 32 times my salary. Sure. Sure. I have yeah. three children in private school. Hello. Yeah, you know, with that. So, so you know, it, it. Now, we did it. We were younger, and there was a destructive quality to it to the personalities. Mm. Um, it was a lot of wear and tear on uh, Steve Wasserman, Paul Wagner, myself. Larry's a full service, so he didn't he didn't I have did the yellow vest. Yeah, but it was it was tough stuff, you know. It was, um, but it really was that, you know, we can do this many if we're willing to do double ups. And I think it was Duke Vincent who sold us. Duke really, Aaron, surprisingly, unless it was an act. Aaron knew less about production than than you could even ever imagine. Duke <laughs> and and Gail Patterson, who was the uh, right. the money person under, they they yeah. knew a lot. Gail yeah. Patterson was so good she could always find episodically where we were hiding the pad. So yeah. that was always good. Which means where we were hiding money that we wanted to use, but we didn't want to tell them exactly how much we were using. Yeah. So you put it into another area and you hope they don't see it. And Clark. and nine out of ten uh, production executives, not nine out of ten, six out of ten won't see it. They'll always. Hmm. That's a good one. Um, it's 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 a little bit left field of the topic, but was there? Uh, Kelly wants to know uh, what was the best set to work on. Was there one, uh, one of the interiors or one of the locations that you felt very comfortable on? Is that even a thing for you guys as actors? Carol. I, I've always wanted to work in a beach pit. So I thought the beach was beautifully laid out. I felt real comfortable behind the counter. And I started to feel very much at home there. I loved it. <laughs> what about for you, James? Well, I think when I walked in on the set and saw the house, I thought, how how can I get that in real life? This is very much the house that I think I want to live in. So um, <clears throat> I was always happy to be there. And it, you know, it, it, it was amazing how well it fit with the real house. Do, do we talk? I mean, do people know that there was the exterior of the house was up in Altadena, yeah. which matched this set. And then, and then we built the, the interior of the house, you know, yeah. 
And of course, stairs went to nowhere and you'd have to, so the entire floor was laid out. But uh, I, I, I loved our house. I loved our kitchen. I loved playing in the kitchen. I loved yeah. playing in the dining room. Um, you know, it was, it was an incredible set. It was, and it, and done, it, and it, was, our first, it was the first one too. It was the first one up. Yeah, I think it was. I remember it. Yeah, Jackie says Castle Castle Walsh. Jackie, right? (laughs) Jackie had a question about interiors, Kelly. When we, when as actors, we have to imagine interiors as we audition, as we rehearse, as we try to imagine. So when you finally land on the set and you actually have actual things to work with. It's like a walk in the park compared That's to so auditioning. Yeah. Isn't it true, James? I yeah, mean, it's absolutely. just to be in real spaces with real props and real. It's just such a joy. I think it's why actors, when they finally get the role, I mean, it's really worth celebrating because yeah. there's so much goes on in your imagination that you just want to, you want it all to come to fruition. So um, I thought the sets were terrific. I had such a good time. Right, a, question, a question for you, and we'll get back to some more fan ones. How important was it that Erica, that it was known that Erica was not a part of the scam, right? I mean, you know, we we don't know what it, what it is at first, but I think you guys make it clear at some point that she's not she's not in on whatever Suzanne and Kevin have cooked up. Erica, I don't think it's. I don't think you really know till the last episode. I yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, you start wondering, you know, when she jumps into bed with them, we're moving like all of a sudden now there's another obstacle that that Dylan has to the timing all of a sudden gets rushed up because they're moving. So now he's got and they're moving. And she said, if you remember, right. And they said moving to Brazil. And I went, no, 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 we're not moving to South America. We're right. moving to South Arizona. They, yes. they covered the conversation like that. Again, sounding plausible, you know, and especially yeah. the reason that they were going there is because cheaper land. Yeah. Now, the one thing is. So would you be doing a biological experiment with ocean there? Uh, go to the deck. No. What are you doing? You know, it's <laughs> doing a Rio Grande. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't perfect. I think you would have destroyed, <laughs> <laughs> um, destroyed the fans if 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 Erica turned out to, to I mean to not to to be in on it. I, I think I would have been really upset at the end. You know. Yeah. I, I I do I really do love the scene where she she gets it and she goes to put the note. I mean I think that's there's something yeah. terrific about that. You 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 know. Well, most of us do see her as his real sister, even though it wasn't established. You do right? You know. Yes. But can I, but the question what is the answer to that question Chuck, is the next season. Then you know we're left with that, and all we get the next season is he's down. I think in Mexico. What is he? he's with a in Mexico. He's in Mexico. Down right? and out. Yeah. And yeah, and he's drinking again, but you don't know what's you don't all the details do not get filled in. You know, was Suzanne really involved with Jack? You know, all that stuff. Were were you guys thinking, gosh, how much do we have to, you know, uh, tie up the loose ends, or should we just leave it? What was what was the discussion? Mm. Well, I think. Um... You know, we knew he had this good treasure here that eventually Dylan was going to have to get his money back. So that was really good. It was going to happen during sweeps. Don't forget. I see. see. Right. right. A lot of the episodes, you know, there are the episodes, but then there's the money balls, which was November, February, and May. Those were the big months we had to really have exploitable log lines, stuff they could promote. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think... We left it vague to give ourselves room to be able to pull that off because we couldn't do it till November. Because we 
with those sweeps, even though they're just to ex just yeah. to explain the sweeps to our uh, our fans out there. Um, networks used to have that to set the rates of their affiliates. So if you think about there's a station in Kansas City, and if more people watch my, our ep our episode that has a bigger profile, or Brenda's going to get a lope, and oh, I want to see that. If you go to that in Kansas City, and we have that in November, the the and their ratings go up. The beneficiary is the local station in Kansas City. So it was a it was the mainstay of a relationship between the network and the affiliates. And the moment the affiliates they didn't care about the affiliates anymore. Uh, you know, in, in the, as, as we went into the new millennium, um, you know, no more, no more sweeps. Yeah, went away. It didn't matter anymore. Huh. On the question, though, that people you know have asked about, uh, is it safe to assume that their real sister that, that it's its real sister that Dylan's real sister is Erica? I don't know that you guys ever answered that. She was so promiscuous that she could. Who could tell? <laughs> yeah, you know that's what I think. We need a slut. Where's a slut? Oh, hello. You know. Uh, <laughs> you know we. That's she did have know. a photo with Jack. I think this one I mean, is whatever an audience ever thinks is good. So great. Larry, go Larry, for it. you're being besmirched right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm saying she. Sorry, she dares him in that episode to to do a DNA test and just totally disarm <laughs> because he's embarrassed that he doesn't trust her and it's just another beautiful, you know, dog whistle kind of moment where she kind of yeah. plays him, you know, like a perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Good writing, guys. Up, guys. Yeah, Lily. What else you got? I'm sorry. James. Uh -oh. Going back to season two, the season finale, Wedding Bell Blues. James, uh, only, only watch these five episodes. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, don't ask me. I, I, and I apologize to the people, but you know, <laughs> you're dealing with a uh, you're dealing with an old man with a brain that you know. <laughs> got, got and you probably remember this one because this was one of the most heated scenes. The scene where uh, Jim and Dylan are out by the bar talking, and Jim kind of goes over to him to apologize, and then Dylan throws the drink and. Uh, they start arguing. What was it like filming that scene? I, I wish I could. I'm going to be honest. I don't. I don't remember filming that scene. I remember the scene. You know, no, I don't remember the the filming of it. And I wish I did. I'm sorry. Um, That's okay. You need to. You have to at least send them the episodes a week in advance. Let me. Let me. Let me watch I can do that. I'll come back and talk it, about it. Back on. I can do that. As soon as I see it, I'll remember it. I will. Well, we yeah. do okay, want to do one. You asked. One? I know we went off, and you said, "Where's?" I thought Carol was going to be here. Next time you come back, we'll have Carol come back and we'll have both of you there. Well, that would be great. And, and maybe what we'll do is get some questions beforehand and so yeah. that we can refresh our memory. Sure. What was it like working with Carol for James? Uh, for me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Carol Carol and I, we, we just, you know, I, I, my, my favorite. My favorite Carol story. So Chuck, I think you'll remember this, right? So in the final auditions, you know, it's very nerve wracking. You get, you know, narrowed down, narrowed down. And there were, it was me and a three very pretty wasp looking guys, you know, in that room with outside of Aaron's office. And, um, and I felt a little bit like, okay, I'm going to play this wasp guy from Minnesota, you know, and, so it was, and I came in and I read with Carol. Remember, it was like a, it was, it was kind of a, a chemistry. Sure, read. she came in to read with everybody. Yeah, and um, right away, I remember we had a 
a real, I think we had a real chemistry even in that room. I remember that. But I, I, she told me that I walked out of the room and Aaron said something like, ah, you know, I really, I really like that guy. And Carol said something like, well, of course, Aaron, because he's Jewish. <laughs> I don't know if that's an apocryphal story. <laughs> but after that, I was in love with her. Well, I'll, I'll just say that one of the things that was different than you from the other three actors you looked like my father, Dr. Rosen. So oh, that was enough. Yeah, you know, you were my daddy too in that. <laughs> the cheeks and that. And and but I had I, I just have to say, and I know we'll we'll talk about it. We're gonna have some casting thing yeah. uh, maybe down the road a little bit. But uh, you know, if you remember, you know, we talk about always that first group of auditions when we got Luke. Well, the other thing we had to they decided to recast the father role. They wanted a more serious Take not as much of a comedian. Lyman take. Ward. Lyman Ward. Yeah, Lyman Ward. Right yeah, out of the wonderful actor. Who's he was the first baseman on my softball team. He played oh. first base. I mean, wow, very nice. Yeah. How was and, it? And um, you know, so we he was had a Canadian. Had, <laughs> and you know, people have to go and they have to be there at the in the afternoon. It's hard to go across town, and we're this funky little show with old Aaron Spelling, and it's so small. James walks in. He does the stuff. He, I said, do it again. He does the stuff. Yeah, you know, it wasn't it wasn't something that's gonna the heaven. I said to Tony, we're getting him back. We want it, it. Don't count this first one, because I had seen you on thirty something, and I, I, you mean a thirty something actor is gonna come in here? Okay, <laughs> and you were great in that. And the second reading, you, it was now we gave you some positive. Yeah, we really like you. Can you do it? And I think then you would. Yeah, I could be this guy. And yeah. uh, and and uh, and you did that. Did that's how it came down. I mean, that audition process is so difficult. I mean, it's so tense. I have so much admiration. It's so hard being on the other side of the table watching the actors because your heart goes out to them. I had cast James in something in like 1988. He did a pilot. He mm. okay, I had to remind him before the show. No, no, no. I remember. Yeah, <laughs> And he, but you know what? He was such a good actor. He was, he was a really, you know, he still is a terrific actor, just like Carrie. I mean, we're fortunate to have so much talent and uh, at our disposal in Hollywood. James, I have a question. You mentioned your kids before. You're an iconic television father, right? Do has any of them ever said to you somewhere along the right lines, like, uh, okay, enough with the Jim Walsh stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I'm nothing like Jim Walsh with my kids. That I'm relieved of that. I'm a much more hapless, not knowing what the hell I'm doing. Believe me, so they, they never had to worry about that. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. my kids, my kids. But has anyone, okay. ever, anything ever leaked over from from you as Jim Walsh? Like, I'm going to use this that I said to Brenda, you know, in character. <laughs> um, that's a funny question. Um, I would say uh, I probably did without thinking about it. And I, you know, it's funny you say that because I do remember a time when I said something and I thought, oh my God, I did say that on television. <laughs> Luckily they didn't. See, I, wouldn't let, I wouldn't let them watch shows. Right. And I'll tell you why. Oh, no. no, no, because I didn't want, I wanted them to be their own person yeah. and not get wrapped up in their father with some icon, you know, it yeah. was enough going to restaurants or, you know, they were young kids and I wanted them to have their own life with me as a, as a human being, not as some television icon. So I was very, you know, I, I maybe too much so, but I, 
I was very strict about them not being inundated with that. Um, and, and not because I did, I loved doing the show, but that was my work and, and I didn't yeah. want, so they literally, they didn't really watch episodes until they were like teenagers. They didn't, they didn't watch it growing up. Interesting. Yeah. Now, Carrie, uh, same question for you. Have you ever participated in a scam? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great question. Just kidding. Um, how much do I confess today? <laughs> a scam. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, all are all complicit in tiny scams all the time, aren't you? Sure. I'm curious, though, you played, a, you played almost a, unknowingly a villainous character. Um, did that come up in your world from Rabbit 90210 fans that uh, had some questions for you about what you did to Dylan ever in your uh, in your life? You know what, my niece, I could play Lady Macbeth and my niece would still not care. The only thing she regretted, no, I'm, I keep going to black, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, no, you're good. I keep, the screen goes black. Um, my niece, the only thing she ever regretted was that I wasn't on Baywatch. And I said, there's very good reason why I wasn't on Baywatch. But when I hit 90210, she said to, my, she said to me, Auntie Carrie, you finally made it. So, I mean, she was just on every, she never missed an episode. So um, other than she and her friends who wanted to know every single thing that I had found out, I was never kind of attacked for my nasty treatment of Dylan. Um, but that show, I, even though I was only on it for, I think, 12 episodes, I would, during that period of time, I was like accosted on the streets all the time, like Jim is explaining. I mean, the, the, and at first it was stunning to me because yeah. I'd done it's shocking, right? and that kind of thing. And you do get some fans for some of the things, but the size of, the the girls that would come at you and 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 it wasn't just in that it was in elevators by like men executive men with everybody watched nine oh two one oh so oh but no I, I, I was never I, I had people I had people in malls like women would come up to me I kid, I'm not kidding you and they had they had their little seven year old or their ten year old and they say they would throw them at me and say I don't know what to do with Johnny you need to do something <laughs> And I was like, ma'am, I play a father on television, but I'm not your kid's father, and I really probably know less than you do. So, don't, you know, I was like, it was amazing. But that was a tribute. That's a tribute to the writers. It really, and I'm not, I'm not. It, oh, my God. Right. Yeah. I, it, so I thought you were going to say that they pushed the seven-year-old and said, I want them, to, I want this grown neck get apart. Yeah. Never had that either? No, no, not that. No, no. It was all about parenting. That was mostly it. Lily, what else you got? Uh, have either of your families watched the show? Uh, oh, my James, niece. Carrie? Well, my niece and my, my sister never missed an episode of it. Not. Oh, good. Yeah. And all of their friends in Canada. This was, and it was as big in Canada as it was in every other country of the, the world. So, yeah, they sure did. So curious. They wanted to know anything <laughs> And I said, I don't, other than the fact that Luke, of course, Luke was a big favorite, other than the fact that Luke had a pig named Jerry. And yeah. do you know, James, I still have a card that I was going to give to Luke, and it's a pig flying through the air. 
Oh. I've never, I've never let uh, that card is still in my dresser drawer because I never got a chance to give it to him. But I agree with you. James. He was a, a very singular human being. I just adored him. If we, you know what I was yeah, noticing? We could do stories for an entire episode, Pete. And yeah. Some things that I, I'm sure that you guys have already talked about it, but you know, Luke, Luke did some. Luke was an unbelievably generous. That's the word I was going to use. Watching yeah. these episodes for the second look, how generous he was in scenes where he didn't have any. Where he was just no lines. There wasn't really him. He was just there. He was there. And, you know, yeah. it is a important capacity. And yet your and eyes still gravitated to him because he was Dylan McKay. Yeah. yeah. James, I want you to finish that. He was, he, you said he was generous in, in life. He was generous in life. There, I mean, there's some stories that will make you cry. That yeah. particularly, he moved close to us. I mean, he was, he was only a few blocks away and lived near my manager. And um, he took he did some things for neighbors. Uh, unbelievable. Helping a kid go to college. Just, you know, bring. He loved the latest tool. He'd go over and help somebody with their roof, and he'd be up on the roof helping the guy, you know, with their gutters. And he, he, he was, he is the real deal. Yeah, that's nice to hear. Hey, for uh, Charles and Larry, when you look back on this storyline, what is it now? Twenty something years later, do you think the episodes, and for all of you, do you think the episodes still hold up all these years later? Well, um, you know, it's been a pleasure, frankly. I, you know, I, I don't think I've seen them since they first aired, because you know, talking about watching with the family on Wednesday nights, my two boys had to watch the show. That was a part of our ritual, and, and it was something I, you know, I enjoyed. I said, it's not always going to be like this. Daddy is always <laughs> not going to have a primetime show on the air. <laughs> you better appreciate it. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. But looking at them now, I mean. There's so much good stuff going on. I mean, obviously, we, we, we had to tell an A story, a B story, a C story, and, and a runner. And it's just really well, do, uh, well done. But this particular run through it with the Dylan story and the, uh, the Claire stuff also. I've seen Claire Young, the uh, Kathleen Robertson character Young, the wild child stuff just flies off the screen. I mean, it was so much fun to write at the time. Look, yeah, and, and even in these episodes, now I know that these were our you know, are and, and and I'm you know very I'm very um, was very pleased how we got this through and and the reaction that this episode got uh, the last one Mr. Smith goes to Washington we got some our best uh, national reviews um, from it we all, we had moved into a different realm and so that was that was uh, a a real good feeling but we've talked about all these different plots but you know while this was all going on you know you, you could also even though it was you know, not as uh, sparkly in 90210-ish, Andrea's having a preemie in a yeah. hospital. I yeah. mean, yeah. the fans of the we're going to eventually dive into these again and deal with some of the other storylines that are going on in these. Now, we'll do that another time, but yeah, I just but we will do that. Let us just look at the writing for us. You know, yeah. we... We are we are, we were very as James would know we were pretty maligned while we were doing it, and uh, so it's nice that it does hold up and you can look at it and go wow it, it really did work. Yeah, but we will definitely uh, do a deep dive on introducing Claire and all those kind of things that we talked about in some of these in some of these stories. Larry, um, have you heard from Kathleen? I'm just curious. 
You know, we put some full court pressure on Helene, uh, on Kathleen, and on the Twitter machine. Yes. I have heard nothing from her. I don't understand it. We had some fun. I mean, we obviously did some great stuff. The amazing thing to me is she just owned that role, role just Maybe. from the first line. I mean, she, you know, she didn't have a lot of uh, adult credits. I look back at her credits. She had a couple of Canadian kids shows she had done. Uh, and Again, we were a Canadian television show. Canadian. I can't tell everybody. We were Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. 90210. Well, Kathleen, we really would like you to come on the show. We've got Carrie yeah. Keene and James Eckhouse here. On, so if, you're, if you're happening to be watching right now, come on the show. We would love to have you. Yeah. No actors were harmed in the doing of this podcast. I'll tap you in something again. That would be fun. There we go. All right. Uh, uh, Lily, are you good on all the questions? I think we kind of wrapped this episode. Um, I think you did too. Yeah. I, of course, just want to mention that uh, that thing that we had talked about at the top of the year, the, the colorofchange.org, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's an amazing organization. And I know Lily spoke about it earlier. So uh, we're hoping for uh, some donations to that, you know, and Zara was somebody who mentioned to us about that. She said, thank you for providing this uh, amazing live show. It's so good to see Carrie and James. So uh, thank you, Zara. Yeah. Anything you want to end on uh, Charles? Uh, in terms I just wanted to also just, there were a couple, uh, you know, I, I, in, in some of the sites that, uh, that Lily runs relative to 90210 on Facebook, I saw some people post things today about some of the episodes we did ashes to ashes and, uh, one-on-one, -on -one, making references to those episodes of color. And I, I really do appreciate it. You know, it, it great uh, growing up when I did and what I knew that I, I really, racism was, if you ask me what were my issue was on the show, it was that. So that uh, next week we're going to take that deep dive and, uh, and but it's, I, we promise it'll be fun. I yeah. will be self-deprecating, I promise. And listen, I'm not righteous, I'll be self-deprecating. I'm all about gratitude these days to Carrie. I would like to just tell you, listen, I mean, we love you. Us 90210 mm -hmm. fans, uh, you brought something so beautiful to this uh, to this story and to this arc. And, uh, you know, as a huge 90210 fan, thank you for coming on here. And thank you for the work that, that you did. My and to, pleasure. Oh, my goodness. It's so good to see all of you. And to James, obviously, we all feel like you're a dad to us, right? I mean, uh, yeah. the work that you did and the way we feel about you is something very special. You have millions of kids that are just uh, <laughs> in love with you and adore you. I some love them. Them. I love some them. of them might be a little angry at you for, uh, you know, maybe are you know arguing with the Dylan. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but there is much love in all of it. So. Uh, Thank you guys for doing this, uh, and uh, we'll catch you next week for another deep dive. All right. Love, love Thank you guys you. for having us. Thank Bye, you everybody. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 